I want every kind of diverse mix because I want to hear different opinions in mind. So the odds of us getting a comprehensive answer are much higher when my workforce is diverse. If you're not conscious about your investment strategy, you won't end up where you want to be, not financially or as a human. On this show, we interview highly successful investors and share how they overcame limitations to become unstoppable forces of success. If you're ready to learn what it is to be a conscious investor so you can end up where you want, keep listening. Great to be back with you, Conscious Investor. Today, I am joined by Jeff Hoffman. He's amazing. And I am absolutely confident that from start to finish that you are going to find gems throughout this entire episode. But before I bring Jeff on, I just wanted to let you know, if you are a longtime listener of the Conscious Investor Podcast, I just want to say thank you. It means absolutely the world to me. And I appreciate all the reviews that you have left, the emails that you've sent, and so many opportunities to actually pop on a phone call with you. If you're new to the Conscious Investor Podcast, welcome. I am so happy that you are here. So do yourself a favor, do me a favor, do everybody a favor, and will you take a moment and hit that subscribe button? Um, and that way you are always in the loop. Mondays, we have mindset episodes. Thursdays, we have an interview with an amazing investor that will speak to you on, it could be health, mindset, or wealth. All right. Also, have you picked up your tickets yet? The Conscious Investor Growth Summit is coming up in March and you don't want to miss it. The speaker lineup is absolutely impeccable. And the event, it's unlike any other event because we're diving into the three pillars of the Conscious Investor, health, mindset, and wealth. Okay, Tickets are on sale right now. You can head down to the show notes to grab those tickets. And remember, only 150 tickets. And when they're gone, they're gone. We're not going to ask the resort for extra tickets or anything like that or extra space so that we can generate more tickets because we want to maintain the culture of this event. We're growing it in a very small, very methodical way. The first event, 50 people. This event is going to be 150 people. We're going to grow because we want to maintain that culture. We want you to actually be able to connect in a meaningful way with other people attending because this is a pool of like-minded people. Last year, people came as strangers. They left as friends. It was absolutely magical. They left refueled, rejuvenated, empowered to just really go full throttle into these areas of their life. And everybody has a different area that they need to, you know, just like kind of lean in on a little bit. All right. Well, let's dive in. Jeff, so, so happy to have you here on The Conscious Investor. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to it, Julie. Yeah, it's going to be great. I've been spicing things up a little bit on the show, trying to think of how can we serve the conscious investor in a super powerful way. And so I decided sometimes we need context. So if you don't mind, the conscious investor probably hasn't met you like I have. So go ahead and let's just dive in and let them know a little bit about who you are and what you're up to. Sure. I will do the short version. Longtime tech entrepreneur. I'm a software engineer by trade, but until I hired some really good ones, I didn't know that I wasn't one of those. Um, uh, it turned out that my role is in marketing, even though I have an engineering degree. That's first lessons I learned in business, by the way, about hiring rock stars, spending all your money on less people and hiring rock stars. Because once I did, I discovered I could not keep up. I won't say dumbest. I'll say the least smart person in my own company. They're all smarter than me. A huge lesson, and that's when the company took off, not because of me, because I hired people smarter than me. But I've been doing tech startups my whole life. I've been involved in eight of them. We had went through IPOs. We went through acquisitions. We failed a couple of times. But 
sometimes I feel like as long as your successes are bigger than your failures, you'll be okay. And our successes included Priceline.com, Booking.com. Those were startups that I was a part of that we grew globally. And we did another big one that was called Ubid.com that became one of the biggest auction sites on the internet. Took a break from tech, though, to exercise the right side of my brain because in the tech world, right, I'm doing business deals in tech and all very left brain. And I went into the entertainment industry for a while. I took some time off, launched a music company and went on tour with the bands, then launched a film company, moved out to LA for a little bit to make some movies. And then after that, we launched a television company and we did some TV production. So that was my break from tech. Now I really spend all my time on the other side of the table, supporting startups and entrepreneurs around the world. It's absolutely amazing, everything that you have done. And honestly, Jeff, the mindset shift that you've had between just pivoting, right? As you said, okay, I go from left-brain engineer into all these right-brain activities. And so often, I generally like to say, just forget the verb, right? Like, forget if you're an introvert or extrovert, if you're left-brain, right-brain, like, just be, just do. It's so amazing to me how people sort of accept those social standards. I said, I'm going to start a music company. 100% of the people I told that to said, you can't, you're an engineer, you're a tech guy. You're not anything, right? You're not an accountant. You're just a person that learned accounting. So by the same way you learned accounting, why can't you just go learn music or anything else? But people don't accept that. They allow themselves to be pigeonholed into some career thing. You are a lawyer, you are an accountant, you are a marketing person, whatever. And I just never bought into that. There's no question that we all have strengths and weaknesses, and you should play to your strengths if you want to succeed. But your strengths may not only be applicable in one thing. That's the part we got to stop accepting. So this is really powerful because a lot of people in the conscious investor, we've spoken about this so many times about don't be stuck in the box and always leaning into the next iteration of yourself. But can be really challenging depending on our mindset. What was it? I find it remarkable that you did. 100% agree. That's a mindset thing. And again, it's even harder when everybody around you is telling you you're going to fail and it's not going to work and you can't do it, right? So I was making these transitions with not only no support, but negative support. And so there are days where you go home and you say, wait, am I crazy? Because no one thinks it's a good idea. And I know that there's no right or wrong here. It's a DNA thing, right? We all have to live to our DNA. Uh, But that entrepreneurial DNA, I just kind of shake it off, right? For a minute, I questioned myself. It's like, Julie, one time somebody said to me young in my life, my career, they said, you'll never be successful in business. I said, okay, why is that? And he said, because this is a quote, sorry for the language, you're not enough of an asshole. I said, pardon me? He said, The most successful business people are ruthless assholes. And I think he's referring to the Hollywood version. Right. right? Wolf of Wall Street. And I just stood there. I said, I don't think so. And he said, Jeff, have you ever heard the expression, nice guys finish last? Well, that's actually an expression. And he said, why do you think that expression exists? So that was one of those nights I went home doubting myself. Wait a minute. Maybe I am wrong. Maybe I'm too optimistic. But that's the entrepreneurial DNA. I just shook it off. Said, you know what? I don't think so. Maybe everybody else, I don't mean everyone in the world, I mean all the people telling me that. Maybe everyone else is wrong and they're just accepting these things. That's the mindset part, Julie, like you were talking about. And I'm not going to accept that mindset. I'm going to believe that treating people really well 
and being the opposite of an asshole is probably the key to success. And I'll just give it a shot. Right? Failing's not the worst thing you can do. Not trying is the worst thing you can do. Okay. Where did your mindset stem from? Was this something that you just, I mean, we're all hardwired with special gifts. Some people have more faith or strong mindsets or more natural talent. Like where's the DNA of your mindset? Yeah, I think that's growing up with a single mom who had four kids and three jobs. We were poor growing up. But my mom was the fighter, right? And she was the positive person. And my mom would be the why not person, right? Mm -hmm. Even though, again, the rest of the influences around me always were not supportive. And there was a time when mom said, you just need to go get a job like everyone else. And luckily, I actually, I did try that. I just hated it. (laughs) (laughs) But For the most part, that really came from not listening to, but watching my mom, right? Mm -hmm. People always say, do as I do, do as I say, not as I do. My mom was the opposite. I would watch her engage in the world and fearlessly. And that had an impact on me watching my little tiny mom, and she's tiny, out there taking on the world and never backing down. And I was like, man, if she can do that, I should at least take a shot and not just assume I'm going to lose without even setting foot on the playing field. Because mom always gave it her best shot and always believed she had a chance. So that's where I got it from. Uh, Shout out to your mom, Jeff. (laughs) It is absolutely awesome. And I know that parenting, being a trusted guide, it can be exhausting and wearing and such. And so like feedback like that, just no conscious investor. If you are guiding youth today, you are having an influence in their life and make that influence matter. Make it one of material and substance and great guidance. I love that your mom is like this. Julie, you said that. And specifically for investors early on in my entrepreneurial life, right? Investors that had a chance to help or encourage me chose to either be negative or do nothing. And so for me, all these years later, when I switch to the other side of the table and I'm listening to the pitches, I remember what it feels like when an entrepreneur, when you're not worth the time. And I'll tell you where I learned that. I was sitting at the table with other investors listening to a pitch, and they told the guy that was pitching, great job, good stuff, man, we'll get back to you. Then it was break time. And I'm walking behind them, and they're walking to take a restroom break. And the one guy rolls his eyes and goes, what an idiot. And the other guy says, that was a complete waste of time. And I said, excuse me? And I said, you told him, great job, looks good, we'll get back to you. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And I said, no, not whatever. He thinks he did well. And you think a whole idea was a waste of time. And they said, not our problem. And that's when I realized that it's easier on an investor. A negative conversation is not fun. No one wants to do it. It's not my responsibility. It's not my company. I'm not investing. That's all the stuff they tell themselves. But it wasn't until I switched sides And I was like, I was that person on the other side of the table. It would have helped me a lot more if you said, hey, Jeff, we don't actually love this pitch and here's why. So that I could learn something. So you are correct because when you're looking up at an investor, especially as an entrepreneur, that's a smart, successful person by definition and their opinion means a lot. So your negativity or your lack, let me put that, your lack of constructive criticism or feedback, whatever you do, Even if you think we didn't say anything, how is that influencing? That is influencing. Everything you do is influencing to that person that is pitching you. And like I said, I was blessed that I got to sit on both sides of the table, but I was like, wow. And so now I'm super careful about always giving honest, direct, and constructive feedback, whether it's good or bad, as an investor, 
so that people can walk away somehow better than when they came in the room instead of falsely believing something that didn't happen in that room. That's such a gift. And you're right. It's lazy. It's self-serving. Yeah. Simply say to be dismissive. And it is the harder path to walk and I know when I go to mastermind groups and such, and I am not at your level at all, Jeff, but I will ask the tougher questions, the more meaty questions of people, because that's where the growth is going to take place. Like, Hey, if somebody's pitching a deal, if somebody's there at a mastermind and they're there to learn and grow or to try to have their product go to market and have the backing for that, they need to know. I always want to know I've got something in my teeth or not. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. You know what you remind me of that was a funny social statement? The other day on the plane, I just flew back from Europe, a woman walked down the aisle of the plane past everybody with a giant trail of toilet paper coming from her shoe. Not one person thought yeah. that, hey, you got a tail three feet long of toilet paper. And I was like, if it was you, <laughs> wouldn't you want to be stopped? Yet none of those people bothered. They were looking at her and laughing and not one person said, hey, excuse me, ma'am. Oh and I was God. like, man, people. Hard to find the good ones, but you just value them more. It is. I will say not to toot my own horn or anything, but I am that person that will go up discreetly and just say like to strangers, even like might want to know <laughs> <laughs> because I want to know. I don't want to yes. walk with do, do unto others, but I guess not everybody lives that. They just like to say it. <laughs> well, my husband always says the loudest booze come from the cheapest seats and it's far easier to just walk that path. So as you're going through this process, right, of building out these ginormous companies and you're flipping, how did you navigate the responses, the external responses and your own internal response to, okay, well, I'm going to go from the tech space to now I'm going to go into entertainment and film and music. And I mean, that's just such a broad spectrum. How were you able to navigate that? And what was the impetus for making that kind of pivot? Sure. So I'll do the second question first. The impetus is growth, right? And remember, you and I aren't saying we're not talking about any right or wrongs. Everybody should follow their path. But we yeah. are talking about a DNA thing. And yeah. that is important. And so I'm just saying that because for me, I actually did not want to do one thing my entire life because I felt like, let's say I just stayed in tech and the companies that I was involved, like Priceline and stuff, were Consumer, right? Consumer internet stuff. Um, and I didn't want to just do that thing because eventually, in theory, eventually you master it. You get good at what you're doing. And I was like, okay, I know how to do this. I've been doing it for years. And so am I going to keep growing? Yes, always, but in small amounts. As opposed to if I walked away and went into a completely new industry. I have to tell you, the first time when I decided to start a production company and make a movie, as crazy as that was, the first time I walked on my own movie set, they're all talking and I said, yeah, I don't know what any of those words mean. And they're, yeah, they're like, dude, go buy a book, spend three days reading it, and then come back because we don't have time to explain it to you. And friends of mine were like, you don't even know the lingo in the industry. So they took that as a horrible thing. And I was like, how cool is it that every single day I get to learn something brand new? Instead of fear, which a lot of people said, how can you walk out there when you don't know what anyone's talking about? I saw it as excitement. Every day I come home, I'm going to learn something I didn't know yesterday. So the impetus was growth. I would like to learn new things. I would like to have new experiences. In the entertainment industry specifically, I think it's Hollywood's the ultimate marketing machine. I wanted to improve the one thing I do like and do. I'm the marketing guy, right? I love that. 
And I was like, I could grow my marketing skills by observing how the entertainment industry does what it does by being on the inside of it. So that was the impetus. The other part of your question, though, that a little bit more of the how part of that is you got to stay up a lot of long nights and do a lot of research and a lot of cold emails and cold calls. So that's what I did. I would stay up at night. So I did the music company first, right? And because I thought, how cool would it be to produce a concert? And Julie, what happened was I went with friends to a concert. And there were like 28,000 people there. And this guy comes out on stage and he's like, are you people ready to rock? And everybody's screaming. And I'm like, wait, who is that guy? And they said, well, he's a producer. This is his show. And I was told to my friends, I was like, I want to be that guy. And they're all laughing like, Jeff, you're a software engineer, never going to happen. And I remember thinking, not with that attitude. It's not. So it was an opportunity to learn something new. It was a whole new challenge because we were already pretty good at the stuff we do every day, at consumer internet stuff. But I will tell you what I had to do. I stayed up. I did my day job all day. And at night, I stayed up and I read every article I could about the tour and concert industry. Turns out, like every industry, they had a magazine I'd never heard of. There's a magazine called Polestar, and it's the magazine of the concert industry. So I bought it, subscribed. And I would read every article late at night, make notes. And then the byline of every article has the email address of who wrote it. And they're obviously concert and tour producers. So I would email them all. And cold emails and 90% of people, 99, won't answer. But eventually, if you're putting in that kind of work, someone eventually says, what can I help you with? And you're like, I'm just trying to learn your industry. Can I buy you lunch? And someone says yes. And suddenly you got a foot in the door and they introduce you to somebody. So it's a lot of late night studying somebody else's industry because you can't make that first phone call or email when you have no idea what they're, you don't even know the words, right? Because then they're going to be like, look, man, you don't even, you don't know the first thing. I don't have time to train you. But I spent months studying before I called anybody. And then I was at least literate in their language. It's just a lot of hard work. What I'm hearing also, aside from work, because think about this. I mean, you were successful before you made this transition. And it's easy to stay in a zone of success. Like, oh, this is, I'm successful here. Take substantial humility, Jeff, to say, okay. I'm going to go and I'm going to start from scratch and I'm going to learn all over again. Tremendous grit and work ethic. It's phenomenal to see how that carries through. And it makes sense why you have multiple successes because you have the DNA of success within you. I'm glad you use that word humility, Julie, because that's a huge thing. A lot of times on both the investor and the, well, it's funny because considering what's coming up, because I made up a term for this. I call this the Thanksgiving test. So let me explain it to you. I okay. was having a meeting with two different entrepreneurs, right? Who both had outside investors. They'd taken investor money and they were building their company. And it was the week before. I said, hey, I met with this first guy. I said, hey, you're just chatting as we're sitting down to get his investor update to me. And I said, next week's Thanksgiving. Are you excited? See family, friends and stuff. And he was kind of, yeah, whatever. And I said, you don't seem very excited. And then I said, wait, let me ask you a question. Out of the blue, this is my theory. I said, you took money from investors. You took money from friends and family. Your business is not working. So you don't want to go home for Thanksgiving because you have to face the friends and family investors. And he's like, wait, how'd you know that? I haven't even updated you yet. And I said, just a guess. Later that same day, I met with this girl. And I said, next week's Thanksgiving. And she's like, oh, I'm so excited. I said, can I ask you a question? 
She said, what? And I said, did you take investment money from family members? She said, yeah, why? And I said, and the business is going well. She said, yeah, why? I said, just wondering. She's like, I can't wait to get home for Thanksgiving. So that became my Thanksgiving test, right? But you're just being silly, right? But when you've taken people, investor money for that, and you're afraid to face them because things aren't going well, or you can't wait to get home because things are going well. And so that humility, when it's not going well, and a lot of times I tell people, maybe this idea is not working. And the reason I see them a year later, and now all the investors' money is gone. And you knew last year it wasn't working. And it's ego. I was like, why did you keep going? Right? Why am I seeing you working on this two years later? Now you're broke and all the investor money is gone. And it's because their ego won't let them say they were wrong. I said, why don't you just admit your idea was wrong? I know what it is. They told everybody this was the greatest idea ever, and we're all going to get rich, and we're all going to be famous, and all you investors are going to make money. And then you're digging into it, and it's not working. Ego doesn't work. You have to have that humility. You can imagine for me, I've been CEO of public companies, and I went out on that movie set, and I got laughed at. They're like, listen, rookie, you don't even know the words, right? And they're all literally were laughing at me. If you can't act with humility, you just never get to that next level because your ego stops you from seeing the truth. Mm. So I'm just glad you brought that up because it's such an important topic. I absolutely love that. It's like everyone right now is trying to be the goat. I even hear my 15-year-old son talking about, oh, that's so goaded. It's like, oh, God. (laughs) But I love that concept because humility is a foundation of success. So what has kept you humble throughout your journey? Okay, there's a few things, but I would say one of them is role models. Picky, I always tell people this about finding mentors because I made the mistake. I thought a mentor, I was doing stuff in the airline business. So I need to find a mentor that knows the airline business and has connections, except he was a horrible human being. And I would watch him and be like, wow, did he just say that or do this? And so I realized something, a piece of advice for your listeners. A mentor should be somebody that you want to be like when you grow up. And I don't care how old you are. You're never done growing up. It's a holistic 360 thing. You look at somebody and you say, I want to be like her someday. That's who you should reach out to as a mentor. So once I made that realization, I had role models. There were people that I wanted to be like. And so I would study the traits. And it turns out the people I admired most, humility was a big piece of it. And it was a lesson, a learning point for me and emulating my heroes and the people that I wanted to be more like. But there's another part, in all honesty, that helps me these days, which is if I could spend every day with kids and not adults, I'd probably do that. Kids are just adults that haven't been screwed up yet right, by the world. And so I have my own youth charity, and I work with children all over the world. And I can remember a day that a really good day and came home. And my uh, daughter, I was all excited because it was a wonderful day. I did great stuff. And I came in and my daughter looked me up and down and said, you are that in public. (laughs) And I was like, okay, can I tell you about the day? And she's like, who picked that shirt? You picked that shirt and you thought it looked good. And I was like, okay, but can I tell you about the day? A child never minces words, right? They will always keep you humble. They will also do the opposite. If you have the worst day in the world, a little hug wrapped around your knee, your leg from a little person wipes out every bad thing that just happened to you because nothing matters more than that. So the time I spend with youth and kids just energizes me, right? 
And it reminds me that we're not that important. They are. It just helps me with my perspective a lot when I'm spending time with kids and they tell it like it is. They ask it like it is. And again, they remind me that our real mission is to build the next generation of leaders and not to be so thrilled with ourselves. I love that. And you know, I'm a super fan of Michael Neal. He has a book called Super Coach and lots of other content out there. But one of the elements that might land with you is that he talks about the conditioning that takes place when we're infants. And just as we grow older, we can start putting these masks on so that we can not have that. Oh, I don't want them saying unkind things. I don't want to feel that. So we just put these masks on. No longer our authentic self. I love kids as well. I used to be a school teacher. And I know that. I love that. What level did you teach? I taught first, second, and third grade. Oh, that's fantastic. So you know exactly what I'm talking about, oh, obviously. I love it. And now my kids are teenagers, so we're starting to get into a different zone. But when they were uh, like, yeah. <laughs> they're more like your daughter at that point, you know, like you are, you know, like mom, just don't sing, please. <laughs> don't dance, don't do anything. But that honesty is something that is so difficult to find amongst adults. And so it's really refreshing to be around kids because they are just honest. And I wonder, what would the world look like if adults carried themselves with that? Maybe add a gentle uh, rounded edge, maybe not so blunt as kids. Can That's a really good way to say it. A rounded edge to the honesty and candor that kids have. What would the world be like? It's a pretty good question. My TED Talk that's out there is called The Power of Childlike Wonder. And I gave my talk about the fact that five-year-olds wonder about everything and question everything. And if you could just recapture that fascination with the world, you would see all kinds of things that you don't, right? What parents tend to do is get annoyed that your five-year-old is asking 500 questions. But actually what they're doing is wondering and being amazed by the world and exploring it. And so the whole point of my TED Talk is you should recapture that inner five-year-old and let your mind just wonder and pick up a shiny object every once in a while and wonder what it is. Because sometimes people have asked me, we've been successful in a lot of different industries, and people have asked about the learning process, right? How did we learn all these different industries and all these different things? And part of it is literally just scheduling time to tell your curiosity, yeah, go, I'll follow you right? Mm -hmm. Just run free and I'll follow you. Adults stop doing that. And, you know, I got a business to run. I'm an accountant or whatever you are. And so that's the only thing you focus on. And so I started to realize like kids that you're not going to stop them. It's almost like a puddle. A puddle is a giant magnet and a child is going to go stomp in it. And somewhere out there are puddles. And (laughs) I can't believe I'm doubling down on this stupid analogy. Somewhere out there are puddles of knowledge that you should go jump in and quit being such an adult. You should wonder, what'd be like if I went over and jumped here? That's how I got into these other industries because I just picked up some shiny objects and luckily it led me down the right path. But I've also had equally some laughably dumb ideas. I was like, wow, I don't even know how I wound up here, but I was wrong. This is a bad place and I need to leave. I just made some mistakes, but I wouldn't trade them because that same five-year-old kind of wonder what it would be like is also what led me to the, it's funny because at the end of the music thing, we produced one album. And remember, this is when everyone kept saying, you're a software engineer. What are you doing? You can't go in the music business. And we did concerts and tours, but then we produced one album, a jazz album. And as crazy as it sounds, won a Grammy. And so now I'm wearing a, a designer tux. That's even funnier to me for a software engineer. 
And I'm standing on the red carpet in Hollywood at the Grammys, and we just won one. And I'm standing on the Grammy red carpet, and all the paparazzi people are yelling at me. And they're saying, Jeff, how does this feel right now? And I said what I thought right then, Julie. I said, this is the dream of software engineers everywhere. And they're like, what? And everybody's like, what? And the little guy with the headphones leaned over to me and said, can you shut up? You're killing the vibe, right? But I was talking to my younger self, and I was talking to everybody that doesn't follow their curiosity. What I was thinking was, if I listened to everyone else, if I hadn't turned over the shiny object of music that I was fascinated by and gone down some rabbit holes and gotten laughed at the first time I ever showed up, I wouldn't be standing not that my dream was ever to win a Grammy, but I wouldn't be standing on that red carpet because I would have listened to everybody and everything else. It was that childlike attitude led me down that path. So I just encourage people, schedule some time to let your five-year-old out, pick up some shiny objects. Some of them you're going to wish you'd never touched, and some of them are going to be a treasure. Oh, I love this. Okay. Are you a C.S. Lewis fan at all? Yes. Okay. So right. The Chronicles of Narnia, I love all of his philosophical works as well. However, when you read that very initial book where they find these rings and they're, they're going down these holes, like they're just going to these different portals. That's what came to mind as you were describing this. I'm like, some of the worlds they went to were not so great. And then they discover all these different elements just because they're following the curiosity. Exactly. Exactly. Here was my question many years ago. The world's most successful people, and whatever your definition of successful people, everyone has their own, so you'd pick your people. But the people that you most want to emulate, what are they doing differently than everyone else? This was my question, my study. What do these people do and how do they behave? Well, there's something's different because they're at the top of their mountain and everyone else isn't. So what are they doing different? And that was one of the big ones, right? From getting to become friends with some of my business heroes and watching that. So Steve Wozniak's a friend, right? And I watched the way his mind works and his curiosity about how everything works. We'd have no Apple computer if you don't have a guy like that. Another friend of mine, Nolan Bushnell, Atari was his first company, but he's the inventor of video game. And one day, Nolan and I were doing this photo shoot after this talk, and we were standing in this room waiting for them to set up the photos. And I don't remember moving, but all of a sudden, he and I were both across the room and we were taking apart these sort of electronic things. I didn't even realize it until the people were looking at us like, what are you guys doing? And I looked down and we were disassembling stuff to try to figure out how it worked without ever discussing it. And because I had noticed that's one of his things. He's curious about how things work. And we were laughing so hard that we don't remember walking over there. We had no permission to take apart somebody else's items, but we were doing it because we couldn't figure out how it worked. I learned to emulate that curiosity because I noticed it was a common element of my version of heroes. So critical. Okay. I have so many questions. I want to honor your time and I'm so grateful for you. And Conscious Investor, I want you to know that I had, if you're watching on YouTube, then you know that I'm in a different space than in my studio on my property. My internet was trash. And here's Jeff <laughs> willing to wait until I get into town to get into, you know, it's just... I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for this conversation. I'm going to honor your time. Um, one thing I do want to ask, though. Sure. Man has Robin. Everybody has their sidekick. <laughs> Jobs had Wozniak, right? So who's yours? Who is that oh. person that really kind of brought your balance or your... Yes, but to be fair, it's been different people in different ventures. Totally. Okay? 
But without a doubt, that is the case. So in different ventures I was in, I did have different people that I could never have succeeded without. There was always somebody. And it's usually a bit of your alter ego, right? Because you don't need someone else exactly like you. You need somebody that is the counterbalance. I'll tell you a funny story because one of the guys that's been in four of my companies, his name's Glenn. Glenn mm-hmm. is a lawyer and a CPA. He got both. And so there's a saying that being an entrepreneur is like jumping off a cliff and trying to build an airplane on the way down, right? You know that expression. Yep. So if that terrifies you, you're not an entrepreneur. If it thrills you, right, you're in the right place. So one day I was sitting in our office and I looked at Glenn and I said, you know what? In real life, we would never be friends. And he goes, uh, thanks, right? And everybody's laughing. He goes, why would you say that to me? I said, because we're so opposite and so different that I'd never hang out with you. And he's like, did I deserve this insult? I said, actually, in business, it's a compliment. He's like, not seeing that. And everybody's laughing. And somebody said, uh, he's so opposite and different of you. Why'd you even hire him? This was the analogy I gave, Julie. I said, so I've spent my whole life throwing myself off of cliffs, right, without a parachute and hoping I could build the airplane on the way down. Here's Glenn. He would never go near the edge because cliffs are dangerous. He would never be on the top of cliffs because they're high. He would never even climb a cliff because they're steep. The rocks look pokey and it's kind of slippery and it's a little bit hot out. And I'll just wait here in the office. (laughs) He would never go. And they're like, then why would you want him? Because you're a risk-taking entrepreneur. I said, because I throw myself off a cliff and hopefully I can build an airplane. Sometimes I can't. And I said, so here's the scenario. I am plummeting to my death because I forgot all the tools and I have no airplane parts. And I'm on my phone. Mom, I love you. It's been great. I'm calling all my friends. Sorry, I screwed up big time this time. It was likely to happen, right? And I'm sorry, everybody, but it's been real. Have a good funeral for me, whatever. And all of a sudden, Glenn calls. And he's like, Jeff. And I said, Glenn, goodbye and thanks for everything. He said, it's not goodbye. And I'm like, why? And he said, reach behind you. I said, dude, there's no tools in my backpack. I forgot them. And he said, no, there's a little red cord. And I said, no, there isn't. I packed it myself. And he said, yes. And after you did, I packed a parachute because I knew you were going to screw up. Right. And he's like, just pull the red cord and I'll see you back in the office. I would never live without him. I would have never packed a parachute. I would have never thought of one. Glenn would have folded it 10 times correctly to make sure it was right. Packed it without my permission because we're such different personalities. So I always had a Batman and Robin. I always had somebody that thought completely differently than me which enabled us to make much more comprehensive. That's why diversity and inclusion. I don't want a bunch of old white guys in my office that think exactly like me. I want a mix of male, female, black, white, old, young, every kind of diverse mix because I want to hear different opinions in mind. So the odds of us getting a comprehensive answer are much higher when my workforce is diverse than it is when everybody looks like me. So that that applied to Glenn in a personality diversity as well. Thank you for asking that. I love that. And it's so important. So here's another question. I've been writing down questions and like (laughs) questions because I am just like, this is such a gift to me, to the conscious investor and conscious investor. I know you were picking up gems and finding that affirmation and finding that inspiration and just getting some rejuvenation. I know that in every industry right now, where we're at in the economy and history and such, people are starting to feel the pain of it. (laughs) They're starting to feel that pressure. Some people, Thanksgiving is coming up. Some people are having, they're failing the Thanksgiving test, right? And so 
I would ask you this twofold question. If you wouldn't mind, what is something that, and I don't believe that there are failures. I think that the failure is like Einstein says, when we stop trying, everything is a gift. We either win or we learn like it's an opportunity. We don't get to the next level. So I'll say that failure within that context, someplace where things didn't go the way you wanted, it would have been, you would have failed the Thanksgiving test, perhaps. Like what would happen for sure. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind sharing one of those experiences and then sharing how you navigate that. And I don't believe in advice, but I do believe in opinions. So if you have an opinion on navigating those transitions. Yeah. So long ago, I had this crazy idea that instead of driving to the mall, you could just order stuff on your computer using this brand new thing at the time called the internet. And the inspiration was I was going running into the mall to get something. And there was a mom and we parked at the same time. And she started getting out two different strollers, attaching baskets, the seats, getting one kid out, getting the diaper bag, getting the blanket, making sure she had milk. I was watching as I walked. I went in, bought something and came out and she just finished unloading the kids in the cars and was trying to push everything into the mall. And so I was like, that mom doesn't actually want to go to the mall with that much trouble. And she actually stopped and asked her, she said, I'm just returning something and it's taking me five times longer to get unloaded and unloaded than it will take me to return it. So that stay at home mom was the client we were going to build this new online shopping thing for. So we built it and we launched it and zero people bought anything. Complete failure. They went on our website. They looked at the products of these moms and no one bought anything. And I had to shut it down and I had to tell investors We spent your money to build this and it didn't work. And it's humiliating and it's tough doing that. So first part is, this is the part I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to play the DNA card again. You have to shake it off. You know what I used to tell my team? It's Friday. We're closing the company because we're admitting we failed. You can take Saturday to cry the whole day because it hurts and it sucks. You can take Sunday to get drunk or whatever you do, go take a hike right? Whatever you need to do to be alone. But Monday morning, shake it off and come back because we're going to try something else. That's a DNA thing. If you can't shake it off, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. You should go get a job where every day looks like whatever makes you feel comfortable. So that part's DNA. Some people shake it off and some don't. There's no magic formula, right? There is one helpful thing. You asked about opinions. My opinion is that you need a tribe, right? And one day, Julie, I wrote on my board one of my learnings. I wrote down, we get our advice from proximity, not relevance. Yes. And I wrote that down because it was a huge life lesson for me. Proximity, husband, wife, mom, dad, friends, the people around you are telling you whether you're good enough, not good enough, your idea is stupid, your idea is not stupid. All the advice you're getting is from proximity. They're not qualified. They're just there. And you have to go hunt down relevance is a completely different thing than proximity. And I realized I was listening to proximity and none of these people, I love you, mom. I'm not trying to be you. I'm trying to be me. And so other people around you, husband, wife, whatever, that are giving you advice from their lane, from their background, from their lens, right? So it all makes sense to them. But unless you want to be exactly like them, stop listening to proximity. And until I realize that, So wrap that back up where that came in this case. My proximity was all these tech people. We're all engineers. We're building a website. And so I sent emails to some of these 
women. And I said, hey, I saw you on our website. You didn't buy anything. We failed. And I said, I'd love to learn something. If I could give you a 30-second phone call, 90% of the people will never answer that. But a couple did. And so this is a real conversation, Julie. I called this mom. And I said, you didn't buy anything, but you looked at the products for a long time. She said, Mr. Hoffman, I'm not going to type my credit card into your computer. This is a quote. So you and your nerd friends can buy more computers. I said, ma'am, we can't see your credit card number. She said, of course you can. I'm typing it into your computer. I said, no, we can't see it. And she said, how is that possible? I said, because we use RSA 128-bit encryption. And mom said, sorry, dude, I only speak English. And I said, well, that is English. And she said, I don't know what you said. And I said, we use encryption, 128-bit encryption. I said, you know what that is? Because, by the way, Julie, all of my friends know what encryption is, and everyone in my office does, everyone in my proximity, right? And this mom said, unless encryption is the way Egyptians bury their dead, then no, I don't know what it means. And I said, no, it's not how Egyptians bury their dead. And she said, then no, I have no idea what you're talking about. So it was a massive learning lesson, right? Quit being blinded by your own brilliance and quit assuming that proximity is right. All that matters is relevance. So I made it a point in every company after that. Every other Friday, during the early Priceline days, I would change clothes, get out of my CEO clothes, put on jeans, and I would go to Walmart, Kmart, or the grocery store, and I would push a cart around and talk to moms, right? They don't know I'm launching a company. They don't know I'm a CEO. I'm just in the aisle chatting with moms because they're relevant. My opinion is not. What I think doesn't matter. All that matters is them. So you have to go out and find relevance. The same thing for a mentor. When everybody was telling me how bad my ideas were and not one of those people was ever the person I want to be one day, I took the time to look around the community and there was a dude named Roger. And I was like, I want to be Roger. I don't know him at all. He's not in my proximity, but he's relevant. I want to be Roger one day when I grow up. So for three months, I emailed this guy until I finally got a coffee meeting. By the way, the meeting from his assistant was, he has to be at Starbucks anyway. He will give you 20 minutes under one agreement that you promise to never speak to us again for the rest of your life. I said, I'll take the 20 minutes. 20 minutes in, he called his office, said, cancel all my appointments. We sat there for three and a half hours, and he was my mentor. When Roger tells me something, he's relevant because I want to be like him. I listen to it. When the rest of the world says, you'll never make it in music, you'll never this, you'll never that, unless they're relevant, I'm not listening. I'm saying, thank you so much. I appreciate your concern, but I'm not actually listening. When relevant speaks, I got a pencil in my hand. And I'm saying, say that again, because I'm trying to learn something here. Sorry, that was a long story, but you asked a great question. Oh, no, that's a very insightful, rich story. And um, I mean, I happen to have what I affectionately call as my Sherpas. <laughs> yes, there you go. I think you probably also understand you've been mindful about names and such. And I'm always mindful. You know, it's like, oh, I have a financial Sherpa and I have a marketing Sherpa or brand Sherpa or like these people where it's like, okay, they are such a trusted influencing guide and they're vetted. I know that they're going to tell me that I'm trailing toilet paper around the office, you know, or something like that. They're going to tell me the cold, hard truth that I don't want to hear at times. And absolutely, I shed a light on everything. Oh, wow. It was actually going to ask you even some other questions. You've answered so many of these questions just in such an organic way. And I love the advice to shake it off and to just simply... You just have to just get over it. People say, what's the secret? There's no secret. Get over it. (laughs) 
Well, and if you can't, maybe you should not do something else. Absolutely. I have a lot of questions, but again, I do want to honor your time and everything that took place already this morning. <laughs> One final question, and then anything else that you want to add is that I hear from so many people that are are rising in their success level, and they're noticing that it's shifting people in their lives, people that they've been around. Did you have to navigate any of that? Maybe feeling alienated? I mean, you had the tech people, you know, your tech group that was like, you can't do that. That's not a great idea. You know, this is your lane, stay in it. Did you experience any other shifts in your friendship circles, your peer groups and such that as you grew in your success and all of your ambitions? All of the above. That's a great question. So part of it we talked about was that you need to find some relevance in your life. You need to find somebody you want to be like, and that may be no one around you and no one you currently know. And if you don't have that, it's easy to get distracted by the wrong advice, right? Because everyone has, like you said, advice. And it's not really advice. It's just their opinion of the way they would do it if they were you, except they're not you. So quit listening to that. If you don't have relevance in your life, you don't have kind of a North Star. So that's one. Second, we also mentioned you need a tribe, right? And so you need to find people that are going through what you're going through, or more importantly, have been through it already, that can help you. The other thing the tribe does is when you're having one of those horrible alienated days because everyone's mad at you, and let's say you're married with kids and the whole family's like, can't you just go get a job because we're all going to go, no one believes in your idea, and everyone's mad at you, and just go get a job and give up on your dreams. You need a tribe of people that are going through that too, that can tell you, what to say, what not to say, what works, or just give you a hug when you feel like quitting. So tribe is important in that process as well. But there's another fundamental truth, and it's an ugly one. There are more people in the world that want to see you fail than succeed. And it's a hard realization you don't find out until you succeed. And I remember one day calling my father because people seemed mad at me, and I was getting weird reactions and hate and people just spinning anger. And I called my dad one day and I said, why does everybody hate me now? This was after I sold my first company. And it's like winning the lottery. I'm broke before that. It was my first startup. So it was travel tech. And I was 20-something years old. And when you go to an airport and you check yourself in at those check-in kiosks, that was our first invention. And so our travel tech was successful and sold the company for millions of dollars. And I was 20-something years old. And We had a visible success because you could see our products in airports and stuff. But anyway, I got weird reactions and I was hard to trust people. All of a sudden, all these new friends. And then second, people I thought were my friends seemed angry. I called my dad. He said, they're not mad at you. They're jealous. I said, well, that's not better. I have a buddy who plays for the LA Chargers. And Sunday night, he had a huge game. And I was thrilled like I was in the game, right? I'm so happy for him. So that's how I thought it was supposed to be. But everybody was just mad. And I was like, Dad, the fact that they're jealous isn't making me feel better because everybody's treating me differently now. So there are phases that you go through that come with all that, that I unfortunately learned some ugly lessons. People that I thought were friends weren't. You realize that your real circle of friends in life, the real people that you can count on for anything is way smaller than the number of friends you have on Facebook or Instagram. (laughs) Those are not your friends. It's a real small list which you tend to find out way more when things go bad, right? Who's still there for you when things go bad? But even so, when things go well, who's happy for you and who's just jealous? Because that tells you something too. So yes, there were a lot of things that I went through from people that are jealous because you're successful 
from people that want you to fail to make themselves feel better for not trying. People aren't rooting for you. They're secretly hoping you fail. So then say, see, I'm glad I didn't quit my safe job and take risks like Julie did because I would have just fallen. Like they want you to fail, a lot of people. And it's hard to swallow that, but it's true. And it's them, not you. So in the end, you have to be able to derive your self-worth intrinsically. You have to know that failing's okay. You have to know that you're not an idiot just because that idea didn't work. You have to know that any day you wake up, the new idea might be the biggest one you ever had. Every day you wake up, you were given another shot at glory. So take it, right? And you just have to really be careful about the people around you, who you surround yourself with, right? And who you depend on. And those are all the lessons I learned that I had zero preparation for. That's the stuff I wish they taught in school. I learned how to write code in school. All the rest of this stuff was the school of hard knocks. Life. That's what it is. Yeah. And I always think we're blessed with a lifetime. We can't learn it all at once. And we yeah. have, to have some of the formal education to even step on the path and to get going in these different ways. But well, life is a lesson in and of itself. So powerful. Well, thank you so I, much for having me today. I really enjoyed I, talking to you. Thank you. I've just value. This has just been a treasure and conscious investor. I know that you have just gained so much. There are going to be tons of links down on the show notes for you to go and watch Jeff's Ted talk and just engage. We'll have a link to the charity as well. So you can check out his youth charity. We didn't go into that in too much detail, but supporting, finding and contributing. That is one of the most important parts of our wealth is charitable contributions, giving back. We're blessed when we're blessed with monetary means. Now we have an opportunity to do something greater in the world. Have a more. Thank you so much for saying that. I know you're going to put it in the notes, but our youth charity was called World Youth Horizons. And when people do donate, literally, you are changing the life of a child because we use that money to send abandoned children. We raise them, we build them homes, we raise them. But the most important thing we do, uh, especially when people donate, is we send them to school so they have a shot at a life. So when people do donate, you are sending a child to school and giving them a chance at a better life. It's uh, it is that important that all of us use our own blessings to help people who don't have any. Mm, it's so true, and it's easy for those of us in you know Western culture in America in particular, and I know I have a lot of listeners in the UK. We take for granted education very easy because it's something that's valued by the culture that we live in. But for so many people that are marginalized around the world, that's the ticket. That's the key that helps them. And those people make such a substantial impact because they immediately go back and contribute back into their communities, their villages. I know the impact is substantial. So please take a moment, review it. And if you feel like led, please contribute and then share. Always share these type of things. It's amazing. There are vanity metrics in the social world, but you never know just by simply sharing this type of content out there with your sphere, who it's going to reach and the greater impact it will have. Because we have the opportunity to be that little pebble that is in the pond. Jeff, thank you. This has just been just pure joy. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Conscious Investor, until next time, live big, love bigger, and do great things. Are you enjoying this episode? Help spread the word by sharing the episode with a friend or family member. Because really, where would any of our lives be without other people sharing great content with us? Help spread the word by sharing on your social platforms and with those you care about. And remember, tag me at Happy Julie Holly. 